On this week's episode of the Infusion Breakdown Show, the Breakdown Crew sat down with ourselves to discuss whether or not America conflates the two concepts of compliance and fear-based decision-making, and how it affects us on various levels. Let's see what we come up with. So the question we have for today, does America confuse compliance with fear-based decisions? Comment below. Let us know your opinion. We also have timestamps in the description below. As always, be sure to check them out. So before we get into the discussion, I was hoping that you could elaborate on the difference between the two, Desmond, between fear-based decision-making and compliance. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I'm, I'm glad you asked. I was actually going to do that anyway, because I kind of, this is kind of like a uh, dark horse of a question. It, it could go honestly either way. But when I kind of um, think of compliance versus fear-based decision, I think of compliance as doing something for the greater good. So complying with rules, regulations, whatever it may be for the betterment of society itself. And then I'll look at fear-based decisions as, you know, people complying with these rules or regulations based off of ignorance itself, as far as, you know, certain events or um, certain players, I guess you could say being involved, being dramatized to where, everything we're doing is fear-based based off of the what if rather than, you know, what is. But uh, just to, I guess I can continue to elaborate off that just so we have the clarity. Um, the origin of this question actually came from, you know, me just sitting back. One thing I like to do is I like to read a lot of comments. So I'm pretty sure you guys are familiar with, um, if you're not, um, there was a black man that was just uh, arrested, or I'm sorry, not arrested, but detained in uh, Virginia Beach and Lynn Haven Mall and he was detained under the premise that he fit the description of, you know, a black male with dreads and a, and a child and driving a black SUV. And when police detained him, they walked up to him as he's eating with his uh, family and they just put the cuffs on him. Then asked him to identify himself or anything like that. They put the cuffs on him and, you know, luckily his, uh, whether it be his girlfriend, wife or whatever, uh, but his partner was there to record the entire situation so we can kind of get a glimpse on what's going on. Um, you know, unfortunately, he wasn't detained. I mean, not detained. Fortunately, he wasn't arrested and it didn't escalate to, you know, any casualties per se. But one thing that made me think about this is most of the times when we see this and it, um, you know, revolves in depths, you see a lot of people saying, well, he should have just, he should have complied. He should have complied. They shouldn't have done this. They shouldn't have done that. That's kind of where I want to go with this. In addition to, I know we've talked a lot about this pandemic. A lot of comments you will read each time an order of some sort is passed or somebody, you know, no, well known has, you know, died of COVID or even now we see new strains of COVID, um, you know, servicing in the UK and South Africa. You now get that those comments coming in or these opinions that the government is still manipulating people to where you're wearing these masks based off of fear based decisions rather than just compliance with what science and, and, you know, the government knowledge, what knowledge the government has to implement these preventative measures to try and contain the virus and why it has failed thus far. So it's kind of the, the route I want to go. Whichever way you guys want to take it, feel yeah. like we can definitely expand on this a lot more because I'm pretty sure just reading the question, it sounds very, very elementary, but the dynamic for where we can go with it, I feel like is, is, is greater than that. I think the answer to changes based upon the scenario you interpret through. So I kind of looked at both of those scenarios because I had just, uh, I was doing some reading and I had watched the news article, news story on Jamar Mackey. And I was thinking about 
you know how he was unlawfully detained. He was, they they like you said they put the cuffs on him after they asked that he that he own a black truck, to which he and his wife or girlfriend like you said they told him no, and then so the officer they handcuffed him and took him out and then I think they were outside for a few minutes and he was like am, am I being arrested or, and he was rightfully so frustrated and then it turned out to be a case of mistaken identity, and they uncuffed him and they were just uh, I think they issued a, a public apology or something like that the the sheriff or the police chief, and um, I mean it it kind of. I drew parallels with his situation in my own because last no, early this year actually, I was stopped downtown Norfolk. I was walking me and my boy Jay, and um, I was stopped for a case of mistaken identity. And so, the police they had kind of like drove past us several times, and I didn't notice. Jay did, and so we were we had they had circled around the block. They had came up to us, and the, the cop got out the car and he said, "Hey, do you know who you look like?" And so I was expecting him to say something stupid like Steph Curry or something like that, because I get that a lot when I'm when I'm in public. And then he said, You look at somebody we're looking for. And so I kind of was was stunned a little bit. It's like I wouldn't expect him to say that. So they stopped me and they got my ID and it turned out I wasn't the person they were looking for. Apparently they wouldn't tell me what the guy did, but apparently he had done something really bad. And like that was that was the extent of the stop that I had. And so I was thinking how easily or how commonly it is for a situation like that to have escalated in the opposite direction. It just so happened that I had a, a interaction that didn't escalate in that way. And so who were they looking for? I don't know. They wouldn't tell me what they were looking for him for like either. Not even his name? Like, like, like the crime he admitted, no. Not even the person's See, name either. They didn't provide any information. That's that's the problem right there. <laughs> the fact that I you, would keep going, I wouldn't go. even I wouldn't even say that that itself isn't you know necessarily the problem i think the problem is is that law enforcement in itself has certain parameters and protocols they have to follow and i think that they assume that the masses don't understand these protocols that they have to follow so the thing is is that all of these protocols and these steps need to be checked off for compliance to occur so if you are coming into a situation to where some regular civilian like you brian who might already have a little anxiety towards cops and, and you know, I'm not gonna say hatred because I don't think, I don't think, you know, these situations escalate out of hatred. I think it escalates more or less out of it, that anxiety, but you have somebody come up and they say, you look like X, Y, and Z, or you look like this person of interest. And they don't immediately ask you, you know, your name or whatever, like they skip all the protocols they need to take. And now it's like, where does compliance fall into that? Like, are you giving, you know, your identity or you, you know, being submissive to the cop based out of compliance, or is this a fear-based decision now? Like, are you doing it because now there's always the, what could happen next? But see, that's what, that's what I was getting at. So I was thinking in that scenario, what's the difference between complying and then a fear-based decision? Because either way, the consequence is present. You are, you are conducting yourself, you're identifying yourself properly because you know that Okay, for one, if you don't, the situation could escalate, or you could mm -hmm. you could say because you're complying because they ask. So I really don't see right. a distinction in that particular incident. Yeah, yeah. For that particular instance, no, like you you comply. Like I guess you can easily say the basic elementary response is you complied. Like, did he ask you for your identification? Yes. There you go. Like that's that's the thing I'm saying. Like, I'm I'm saying that, you know, kind of how I said it on the intro, where it is common knowledge when we watch these videos that sometimes protocol is breached mm -hmm. and people know that protocol but those same 
you know, people that are, you know, pro, you know, blue lives, whatever that means, those same people say, well, he should have complied. Well, what is there to comply with if protocol has not been followed? Like, if you are not executing X, Y, and Z to properly communicate why you are asking for such, or if you haven't even said what you're asking for, then what is the, where is compliance? Compliance doesn't necessarily, you haven't, you haven't checked off everything to equal the need for compliance. So I feel like people are saying, you know, you should have complied, but it's like, that's not compliance in, a, in its true, you know, generic form. That's, you're expecting somebody to make a fear-based decision, essentially taking, you know, a professional's job into their own hands to know what they need in an escalating situation. But from my standpoint, from a, from a citizen standpoint, not on a law enforcement standpoint, saying that the actions that you take, if you're acting based out of fear or if you're truly complying, they look the same. Very much true. That's what I was saying. Like it, it, it always, always depends on, like you said, a case by case scenario. But then I guess you could also say the origin of, you know, how the interaction has started. Because, I mean, to be honest, like you even said, you know, getting out the car, he could have approached the situation multiple ways. And I guess, you know, the question itself in its truest form is more or less like the the afterthought, the reaction, like people are like the event has already happened. And now why are why are we confusing compliance with, you know, fear based decisions, fear based consequences, any of anything of that nature? Or fear based action, you could say. Like, do you guys just think that maybe it's a result of a person's inability to assess a situation from, you know, multiple point of views? Because like I said, if you're pro blue lives and you see, you know, a cop coming in, maybe not handling the situation, but handling it to the best of their ability. And, you know, the suspect or the person in question is just irate due to anxiety because of what they've seen these police do to people. Like, where is the compliance supposed to come in at? Like, on an irrational point of view, where where does that compliance lie? I think part of what you're saying too is the the moving goalpost argument too. It's like, okay, when somebody does something up to a point and they do exactly what they ask and something still happens, theoretically there's still something, there's always gonna be somebody saying, oh, well, they should have done this instead, they should have done that. Well, it's like, okay, so you have um, incidents where people have done everything to a T and then it still escalates to the point where somebody ends up getting shot or, or arrested or beat up or something like that. Right. But in, in terms of like what you just asked about the, the inability to see things from multiple viewpoints for people saying that, oh, they should have complied. I do think that's a thing. Um, I think a lot of people, when something happens, they, they try to, for one, we, we identify with either out group in groups. And so with that, we tend to, when we feel like we're on a personal attack, which we associate things with our in-group, our first response is to try to defend it. And so that's where I think when a lot of the, the contrary and mindset comes from where people say, oh, well, he should have done this because they feel like it's us versus them as opposed to this is a citizen and a law enforcement officer and this is the incident and this is what how it played out exactly. They don't look at it as two isolated individuals. They try to attach and attribute different groups and they project their feelings to, uh, onto those people too. Yeah, I agree. I think it's uh, similar to what I said in a previous episode about people just not knowing and not realizing both sides or understanding the other side of the actual equation. Um, 
But you got to stop looking at comments, man. That's what you got to do. Bro, I love it. Like, the thing is, I can go to these comments and I can be completely unbiased. Like, I can, uh, what's the word? Um, impartial. Imp- See, this man. On point. I can I can be impartial to these comments because, like, I'm very intrigued, like, what causes people to think this way? Like, what is the main cause? Like, I, I could care less, you know, what your standpoint is like if you're pro-white i want you to say you're pro-white like i don't care what your reason behind it is like if you're pro-white tell me the truth before you try and come up with some some bs to you know defend your statement like i think people are defensive before they even have a reason to be defensive per se so like i would i like reading these comments because it you get a kind of glimpse of the person without them needing to tell you who they are. Like, I, I enjoy that. Like, one thing I, I will say is like, I get I got this from one of my philosophy professors when I was at ODU is because this dude was probably one of the, uh, this dude, my philosophy professor was probably one of the brightest minds that I've ever come across. Like he was a, uh, he was this um, white dude within his like third, late thirties, early forties. He had like this, um, this sun tattoo on his head. Like he, he was tatted all over. But he said, like, one thing he truly enjoys was, like, going into these comments on Facebook, being able to think from multiple perspectives and taking that and weaponizing that, not weaponizing in the sense to, like, cause chaos, but to dismantle someone's opinion to the point that they no longer respond. Like, that's what I enjoy. I like to see, you know, are there people that can come in and challenge this opinion and not be emotionally attached to it? And that's kind of the reason, like, why I go through the comments, because it's more or less banter. Like, I, I just do it to enjoy it, not to... You respond to the people? argument. Nah. Oh, so you just look to see what people are saying. Exactly. Oh, okay. Okay, because yeah. I was about to say, but then in the previous episode, we talked about responding to people and how that doesn't really change people's opinions yeah. at all. So, and and exactly. the case you're just responding to people and they're like, oh, whatever. And next thing you know, you just comment just sitting there. It does yeah. depend on who you're talking to. Like the question that was brought about on the last episode that we did when we shot and we discussed the uh, the TI situation or actually, no, the first one, the Vanessa Bryant portion about the, the parents expecting money. So that actually came about from me discussing with some people inside the YouTube comments on the most like Desmond, I enjoy doing that or or at least reading them. And then sometimes to a lesser degree interacting with them because I see it as a, I'm not really looking to change somebody's perspective. I'm looking for a way to gauge what other people are thinking to understand. Because you know you might look at, you're getting a few people's responses inside of a comment section, but there are more people that think like that. So it's like you have, I have my own thoughts on scenarios, but I find it equally as important to think about how other people feel about it because it helps me better deal with other people. Right. And, and one thing that I would say that I saw, you know, numerous times in the comment section when, it, when we're talking about the uh, gentleman from Virginia Beach that was uh, detained was like, but numerous people coming out and saying like, I'm pro blue lives, but, or I've seen comments that say, you know, this happens to multiple people, you know, outside of the African-American race. It happens to Latinos, Hispanics, and whites. It's just not televised. And like- I believe that? That's not the issue. Yeah, I, I was saying, can you believe it? But in addition to that, that's not the primary issue. Like you're trying to take the fire from already burning situation to bring light to something that people don't even have real knowledge of like people could say what they want to say about you know the media brainwashing like yes we understand the media gets you know paid off of i'm not gonna say paid but they get their money from clicks so if 
as as cruelly as it sounds like if black murder black detainment you know black violence in itself in the sense of you know police brutality is what gets the most clicks that's one of that's what's going to garner the most attention like that's what we're going to see the most because whether it be studies shown or whether it be you know the big wigs at these networks acknowledging that this is what gets the most view despite the the morality could be, behind could it. that be because how America was built on racism. So maybe that's what people are still. I wouldn't necessarily. I wouldn't say it's necessarily built on racism. Like there, it is a possibility. Like that is a good question to answer or to bring forth. But I would say it's more or less built on America's desire for the dollar. Like if you like, let's be honest. Like even from a podcast standpoint, like if we know. For example, if we were able to get channels to be under us, like say, for example, if Infusion Breakdown Show is now a big major network and we're bringing on all these shows and we know the primary way for us to get paid is viewership and then the amount of clicks we can get per ad, you're going to push whatever is garnering the most attention. So, like I said, as you know, immoral as it may sound, this is what garners the most attention. This is what gets, you know, the, the, um, the most response from people emotionally. Like, I, I know you remember, you know, as much as I hate, uh, I'm not gonna say hate bringing the guy up, but, you know, Gavin, our um, our manager at Cloud9, like he said, we're moving towards a feels-based economy, which means that everything is based off the emotion that an experience can provide for you. And like, that's just not meant on a, um, you know, small business, big business, um, you know, landscape. Like, just think about how, you know, Disney is bringing, back all these old figures from, you know, the 70s and 80s, like they know that people are mostly attached to these figures because what's that going to do? People that are mostly attached are going to drive viewership up. What is driving viewership up? It brings more attention. It generates more revenue. And, you know, Disney is probably like the the most, you know, basic example you can give because it's nothing but good associated with it. But on the flip side, when you look at these news broadcasters and, you know, whether it be Wavy, CNN, MSNBC, or Fox News, like, they have to push what is going to give them the most clicks. So do you blame them for, because we talked about black on black crime, do you blame them for talking about black on black crime and putting that out in the open more? Um, because I, that, think I wouldn't, I wouldn't say blame, but I think they are a player in that because think about it, like discussion at a panel is only going to impact the people who choose to listen or people that choose to be present. But when you take that panel discussion and you amplify it by recaps on, you know, the nightly news network or morning news or, you know, big CNN or big TV, whatever it may be, like that S, that, that um, increases the amount of people it's able to reach. So, yes, they do definitely play a part in why, you know, like you said, black on black crime is, you know, inappropriately used and misused. But at the same time, like they're not the main drive behind that 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 term being used you know erroneously yeah. it just exacerbated basically mm-hmm. exactly one thing you kind of touched on just then does you were talking about the uh, the compliance you're saying like and josh had asked you about well that happens to white people and so that was exactly what was in this twitter thread that i just came across earlier today and so the article is about jamar Mackey, the guy that was detained in, in virginia beach and so that was posted in this white guy response he said I was wrongfully handcuffed in college because I looked like a buddy and I was in his home at the time. I was sleeping at the time as well. This is not limited to one race only, but I guess the article only works for good clickbait. Now the response to that one, I like this. 
And so the point is it shouldn't happen to anyone, but white people don't make a fuss when it happens to them unless they're rich. They just deal with it, I guess, because the consequences are less dire. And then it says, they just deal with it. But when black people complain, we're just pulling the race car. Meanwhile, ever heard of stop and frisk? That was just meant for black people. So it's like you tend to care less when the when the consequences are less severe. Exactly. But now you see why, like Josh, now you can see why like I enjoy the comments so much is because like that's great content right there. Like I'm not gonna say great content. Yeah, it could be great content, but like that's great dialogue right there for even better content. Like, no, that, I like I think that I is, no, I understand looking at it. No, I do the same thing. I do that all the time too. I, just, I was just talking, I thought you meant you was replying to them oh, and trying no, to no. Actively, actively engage in them and change their opinion. Like, uh, there's no point in doing that. So, but yeah, I do it all the time. I look at people like, nigga, you stupid. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, no. <laughs> no. Oh, that's a good point too. But I mean, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. I think that's good. But yeah. But not to not to completely switch subjects because I know I'm I'm I am definitely enjoying um you know where the dialogue is going. But one thing that I have always questioned is you know people's viewpoint and how their mind dissects their opinion on the current pandemic. Like I understand that some people will say it's a hoax. Some people will you know claim that the that the government is brainwashing us into you know it's infringing on our free will like wearing a mask infringes on our free will or whatever but it's almost like you're just as ignorant of COVID-19 as the people who are in compliance like why are why do we see so many people bashing the response to COVID-19 not necessarily from the government but the civil response to COVID-19 versus you know their own response like like where I, I like i would really like to know what their true rationale is like where what have they studied what has allowed them to come to this conclusion that you know complying with the mask mandate is you know a weak-minded weak-minded response to a government i'm not gonna say government but a governor's mandate it could be because the um it could be because they saw trump just like Wally through it all year, basically. Of course, he got COVID uh, because of it, but he he was uh, barely wearing a mask. Only time he saw a mask was when he pulled it out during the debate. But I think that could be it. They could just follow in him and like, oh, okay, man, he don't he don't take it seriously. He the fucking president. He know everything. But if he don't take it seriously, then why should I? I think that could be part of it. I think that is part of it. But I do think something even more meta than that is that the the mask itself is as opposed to being a health issue it became a political issue. So with with people, like you said, with Trump, for example, with him being a figurehead and not having the mask on and the other people who have those conservative views are also doing it, then it becomes a political thing. They become, through association, now that's something that, that's, uh, that's part of the conservative mindset. So you see people like that who are opposed to wearing it just because the people on the other side are for it. Agree. But couldn't we then conclude that them choosing not to wear a mask based off based off of influence from what they've seen political figureheads do be the number one infringement on free will? Like you're not making that decision based off of your own clear and concise conclusion. You're making that decision based off of what you've seen your political figureheads do. But they've made the meta choice by choosing that person. So they don't feel that way. 
This is just my so estimation. Then, exactly. But I want to continue with that, though, because if they're making that choice, aren't the same way they say that the government is brainwashing the people, isn't that same government brainwashing you? It would appear that way. <laughs> I don't. They don't look at it that way. That they're getting brainwashed, though. But exactly. But this is where the this is where the question comes to the debate table. What is compliance versus a fear based decision? Like, like you're 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 making these assertions based off of what your political representatives have said, although it be erroneous. And you take that as the new letter of the law. Like, where's the where's the where's the rationale behind that? Like, is, I, I'm this one this one thing I'm just not understanding because they'll take that and they'll say that it's brainwashed. Or I'm sorry, they'll take that and they'll take that and they'll say anything opposed to this is considered brainwashing. Anybody that chooses to comply, you're brainwashed. But then they will turn around and take that same verbiage that you know their governor or their their representative has spewed. And then they'll take that as the new letter of the law. Like it just it just causes such a great divide in itself to where you kind of see, I think, you know, when I ask this question, I think the greatest divide or what causes Americans to confuse compliance with uh, you know, fear-based decision is common sense. Like I feel like we like America as a as a whole severely lacks common sense. Because if you if you can, you know, just if we we're we're, if we're not even taking into consideration what we know about now about the pandemic if we think back to march when everything went on lockdown before there was any of this scientific data out you know on you know the american side and you know i'm pretty sure there's a lot more data you know in europe and, and you know overseas but if we remove everything we know now and we rewind back to march a lot of these people were already saying that same thing then as they say now, but where is the proof to back what they are claiming? Like if you simply just take what they were saying back in March and you take the response that came with that, you cannot come to a clear and concise conclusion that what they are saying is sound. By, me, by saying sound, I would say it can't be ripped apart by common logic. Why do you think people lack common sense exactly? But I what is I don't even know, man. Like it's kind of hard. Like, I can't even tell you where where common sense. Like I don't know man. because like, I think because I think um, well, first when you presented the question, I of course answered answer this a different way. But I think sometimes people comply with others simply because they don't know any other option. Like I think, yeah, common sense might be something, but like like you said in a previous episode, a lot of kids are introduced with a "do as I say, not as I do" mentality, and that restricts the uh, like the child's ability to think for themselves. So a lot of people become followers because of that. So I do think that that is a part of it. Like they're not just they're just not taught to be to critically think from their parents or from whoever they're uh, brought up by. So I think that's a that's part of the missing common sense like oh no you just do that because i told you to do that like and then as they grow up you're like you're not doubting anything because yo i'm gonna just go go by this job and accept this paycheck even though i can start my own business and probably make quadruple this amount so i think a lot of that is like yeah people just not taught by yeah. their parents I like how you took my previous response and just said why well, i should have already had the the conclusion man 
yeah. I think part of that too is the inability to detach from things because you'll defend something if you have a personal stake invested in it as opposed to something that was objective that happened. Kind of like what I was saying earlier. With the, I think the, I think the, I think the more people get, yeah, that's true. I think the more people get older though, the harder it is to like stop a habit or detach from things though too. Do you agree with that? To the detach? People, yeah. Not, I would, I wouldn't agree with that. Um, I hadn't really thought about that, but I do know it's hard to get them to change to change their mind on general things. So that could be a part of it. Like if somebody's un unable to detach from something early, I doubt that that in itself would change later. Um, but I feel like if you're if you have that ability, we said detach from something early, like early, like what? Like if if you're at a young age like us, if you have the ability to detach even, from something, even, and look even at, at objectively. Us. Yeah, even at us, we still have a better chance of changing our opinion than someone older than us. But still, at our age right now, it's going to be hard to, like, change who we are unless we actually work for it. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to actually break any type of habit because we've been in this system or doing what we've been doing for so long uh, at this moment right now. So I do believe it's possible, but I think it's just harder as you get older and older. Like, people's opinions are going to be solid. Like, they're not going to change because they, their whole life they've been growing up like that. So. As a general, as a general statement, like a blanket statement, I would agree with that to say that it's harder to change someone's mind as they get older. But if you look at someone like us, like we are, we've 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 established before that we're rational people for the most part. You can present us with facts, objective facts, and we can look at it. And if it contrasts with our opinion, then we can reevaluate and change our stance on the situation. That's something that happens on a person to person basis. Okay. So what was your, um, did you provide your reason, or I guess you could say your answer to the question, like why, why America struggles with, you know, different, differentiating between common sense and, I'm sorry, not common sense, uh, compliance and, you know, fear-based decisions? You're talking to me, O'Brien. You. Did I say? Uh, not necessarily. I think a part of it does have to do with uh, people just are grow up and they aren't, um, they aren't taught to critically think like they're, they're just taught one way as they grow up and I, uh, when it comes like to other people like i said i answer this on a different like on a different way than you guys answered it but or at least you does but when it comes to other people i do believe that people confuse compliance with fitness decision without even realizing it and i think the obvious example is that people when they say that they're, they're like god fearing like people um like people often say that in compliance with Christianity or in the Bible um, and not realizing that it is a fear-based decision. And I think many people do the same, even if they aren't religious to, uh, to, to the same degree. And I think the biggest example is what Kendrick Lamar said um, when he was first starting out. He was like, he would rather not live like there isn't a God than find out, than die and find out there really is a God. And in reality, that's a fear-based decision disguised as compliance right there. Um, so I don't think he tried to disguise it. You don't think it's a disguise? I oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, was, yeah, 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 you're right. He was probably, very yeah, transparent. Yeah. It was a fear-based decision. Yeah, it's probably what, yeah, okay. You're right. It's probably right, yeah. What, you got something to say, though? Nah, that put a, that, that analogy, you put a smile on my face because, like, even when I had, uh, you know, I had mentioned Overly Dedicated as the album of the week when uh, we had Monte and uh, Larry, yeah. like, the fact that you know about that, like, man, because I, I I can tell you, like, I've always stated that music takes me back to, like, the very first moment I listened to it, and if I have that attachment to it, and I can re just remember, like, I wasn't as ex expansive mentally as I am now when I was listening to that, 
And like, man, I had to play that back over and over and over again to like truly dissect what he was, was saying there. So like to bring that up, you know, 10 years later is like, like, damn, like when we say 10 years, it's like, make you feel old. Like we were, what, 16, 16, you know, 17 at that time. Yeah, it was, it was actually, it wasn't overly dedicated. It was uh, the Kendrick Lamar EP, but I know what you're talking about. It was yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily like trying to make a correlation there, but it was like the oh, fact yeah, yeah. that you know of that Kendrick oh, is, yeah. is like, it puts a smile on my face because the fact that you can, of course, like I said, make that analogy 10 years later, like you. Yeah, but I, I do agree with Brian that he didn't necessarily disguise it, but I do think that is still a fair-based, uh, fair-based decision. Um, but and I think the other part, I think it's a selfish thing also, because I think a part of it, um, part of it is a fear-based decision. The other part is, I think people know deep down, they need other people in order to be successful in some shape or form. And they know if they don't comply with a person, that person more than likely won't do anything for them. And I think an example, um, an example of this is going back, is like going to college because your parents wanted you to, you might not know exactly what you want to do in life, but you know, if you don't listen to your parents, they'll be upset. Uh, they'll probably do less for you and they'll maybe even kick you out. So you comply with them based on fear because you don't know, uh, cause you don't want them to stop doing things for you or supplying you with shelter. So that's why I really say, um, so that's why I say people confuse compliance with fear-based decisions. But a part of it is people being selfish because people know that if they don't comply, there's, a, there's no benefit to them later, I feel also. Um, and yeah. I'm glad you went that way. Cause my intention with this question was to blow it up. What I mean by that is everything you just said, how could an entrepreneur answer this question? Is going into entrepreneurship a fear-based decision based off of being a victim to the system? Or is that a form of compliance with the knowledge you know on how the system works? Like how would you like how could you literally answer that question from you know, obviously, I don't think any of us are full-blown entrepreneurs. I think we all have like a desire to get to that point. But I wanted to blow this question up because, like I said, there it's a it's a multifaceted question per se. Like, there's multiple answers. There's some answers that we can give that perfectly fit it, but then there's certain answers that are going to blow the question up, like this one. Like, how could we fit an entrepreneur into this question? Like, is it? Do you think it's possible? for them to comply with a fear-based decision. Is that what you're asking? No, no, no. Like, how could you, um, like, a truly assessing their lifestyle of what an entrepreneur, um, you know, I guess you could say what cause, of, what, what can cause, you know, a person to become an entrepreneur? Like, is it compliance within some sort of system or is it fear-based based off of some sort of system? Uh, where does genuine desire fit into that equation? It doesn't. Maybe something or or maybe it's like a I'm now sick of this fucking shit, so I'm gonna go start my own job. Where does that fit into? That, like that, that's a fear based decision because you yeah, fear being stuck in that scenario. No, not not no not not. You know not, the consequences of not living up to your. No, your you're dream. not that you're scared. You're more upset. Like no, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm gonna. You know I me. Mean? I feel I'm when I'm thinking fear-based decision. I'm thinking you're fearful to start that business. Like you're you're fearful to even start that business. That's what I'm thinking. That's that's why I said this question is about to be blown up now because the same way you're saying that's a fear-based decision based on anxiety, it's also a fear-based decision based on being a victim to the system, to where you're just consistently going through the 
you know, weekly to weekly, bi-weekly to bi-weekly, semi-monthly to semi-monthly cycle of being paycheck to paycheck. Like some people truly fear that rather than being fearful of what could come as a result of them starting their business. I was actually more in a scenario of you basically, yeah, you're in that, not that you're scared of like staying in the system, be like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm going to go start my own business. You know what I mean? Not, not necessarily that you're scared of, of being in that job for the rest of your life or anything like that. Just that you're now, now you just think of it. Like you have that, um, I forgot the exact phrase that you said, like, you don't want to do this. Like you're sick of it. Like I don't want to do this anymore. So I'm just going to do something else. You know what I mean? I forgot, what, yeah. forgot the exact term you used. Um, no, no, I get, I get, I get it. Like, yeah. I get where you had it. That, that's what I, but, that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking of. But keep going. No, I was gonna say, but Brian, the reason why I said, you know, genuine desire really doesn't play a part yet because, well, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that conclusively, but I was just in my mind of how I'm interpreting the question. I don't say it plays a part because I don't know how it could play a part. So if you feel like, you know, you can expand on that. When do you have genuine desire? Like when does that genuine desire come out? Exactly. If it's something you knew integral to yourself that you really wanted to do. So for example, if I had the desire to do a podcast, but I didn't do it, that would be something, okay, it could potentially be based out of fear because of the, the judgment of it. But if I actually do it, it's because something that I actually wanted to do and step out of what I was doing traditionally, like I could just go back to my normal life and go to work, come home and do nothing else. I could do that, but I would feel like, I can't. I guess you could kind of say that this would fall under fear if you look at it and you understand the consequences of it. So if you forsake your own like desires and, and dreams and you kind of say, okay, well, if I don't do this, then I'm not going to live up to what I knew I could be. And you could be fearful of that in itself. That's why I think that if, if anything, or you could say you're actually complying with who you really are and what you really believe in. So it's, it's that one is a little bit more subjective. I feel like it's not as clear cut but it doesn't have to look like somebody else is imposing it. You can also impose it on yourself too. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you took it that way because it could be like compliance with the self almost because I was going to say, you know, is there really a way an entrepreneur can be in compliance with the system? The system of entrepreneurship, because like you said, everything that happens is a blueprint. So there's been people who have branched out on their own and have business endeavors and done great things and there, there's like a, a template almost and you can take information from those people and apply it too so i kind of could say like you're complying with the strategy ah, that, okay. you, that, that you know works yeah I, I like that i like that analogy or i like that expansiveness just because you know it's not it's not um you know it, it's kind of when you say it that way it's kind of hard for that decision you know for just from my perspective to be fear-based because you have a blueprint per se like you're not doing it you know based out of fear you're doing it based off of you know, prior example per se. But I'll, I'll always say though that I think for an entrepreneur, you know, whether you want to phrase it as compliance or as genuine desire, I think it could go both ways simply because I think an entrepreneur's, I'm not gonna say that because there are some people that are just, you know, born ready entrepreneurs. But I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, it, it, it does start off as fear-based. Like once you get into the, uh, like the system from our perspective, all of us have been part of like a, a nine to five system. Like we realize how redundant it is. And I don't know about y'all, but I have a great fear of falling victim to that system because I can make the correlation between, you know, unhappy work seeping into personal life. Like 
I don't I don't you know know what the study is. I'm pretty sure there's a study out there, but I'm pretty sure you can link, you know, whether it be child abuse of any sort or you know child disenfranchisement, where a child doesn't feel like they're part of you know a collective family because of the the hardships of working you know a nine to five that you're not fulfilled with. Like for me, that's a fear based decision because I don't want to be a part of that cycle. So that's what I'm saying. Like, can you truly distinguish between compliance and being fear-based when it comes to an entrepreneur because some people really genuinely think like you know shit if I don't if I don't start this now then you know it's going to be harder to start it later and weighing all those negatives of starting it later could force you know somebody to make that jump a little bit earlier and I would say that that's a fear-based decision it's not a fear-based decision based on you know reciprocation of the idea or I guess you could say um, not reciprocation of the idea, but the the response to the idea. But I think it's more or less fear based out of the what if or what could be or what won't be. Because like for me, I'm just using that example because that is my like genuine fear. Like just knowing how children who are part of, you know, whether it be single family household, I'm sorry, single parent households or you know, parents who are living paycheck to paycheck, who are not able to necessarily, you know, control their their emotional response to things like, that's one of my biggest fears. Like I want to eliminate any possible factors that can push me to be that type of parent. You said fulfilled. Would it be different if you was doing something that made like you felt made a difference in life and society? Like, I feel like would, the it, would it not still be a routine? Like, would, would you enjoy it more? You're saying fulfillment in the sense of your nine to five? Yes. Uh, and then in that case, I don't think it would apply to like an entrepreneur. I think like, you know, just for, for your basic nine to five, I would think it would be more compliance with, you know, what is working for you. Like, that's why I said, that, like, this question is really easy to blow up because like Brian said, there's multiple answers to it. So like if I'm, you know, a successful lawyer and, you know, passion, my, my passion is with law, then everything I've stated as far as like what could push me to make a fear-based decision is already taken care of. Like I'm making the money. I am satisfied with what I'm doing. There mean, like I'm making sure that my emotions, I'm getting that dopamine hit every time I'm going to work because I'm doing something I truly love. Because I'm doing something I truly love, I can handle the hardships a lot better than somebody who's doing something that they truly hate. And then having to come in into contact with those hardships of working, like, I feel like all, every box will already be checked. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, there's people that are doing what they love and they're having a hard time doing it just because of maybe stability of the market that they're in. But I think at the same time, like, that would be, that's a compliance-based decision because they, they're doing something that, that works for them. Like, there, there isn't really much fear in that. Oh, okay. Like I, I like I think this would be spot on for like Brian per se because you know I don't know to what extent he enjoys you know his current job but his current job is something that is in the field of something he loves to do whereas my current job is a, is something in the field that I really don't care to do like it's something I'm good at but it doesn't provide me the fulfillment whereas you know Brian is like really good at what he do what he does and you know I saw it on um I forgot what he sent. But I seen something like project lead under like his under email. his title, like for on his email, like 
when you see that stuff like that, that makes me think like, okay, like he, there's a sense of fulfillment that he's getting within this field, whether it be something he truly wants to do now, but he's already getting those, those boxes checked to where he's, he can either set himself up to be fulfilled within the position that, or, you know, the next position up, or he's being fulfilled in the sense to where he's gaining all the knowledge to then start his own firm of some sort within the tech industry. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, you, you gave the perfect example, like somebody that is checking off all those boxes and not making those and not making fear-based decisions. Like there are, I think there is, you know, a great portion of the population that, you know, within these nine to five jobs, you know, everything's fear-based. Like you can't quit your nine to five because you got bills to pay. You can't quit your nine to five because you have children to take care of. You know, that's very apparent to me because back at my last job, when I was a, a contractor, there were people there who they would work long hours. They were always stressed out and they, they sat, they, they were there for years. And everyone that I talked to, they all had interesting side hustles or, or skills that they had that I'm pretty certain if you get an opportunity to do that instead of what they were currently doing, they would take you up on it in an instant. Facts, big facts. Like for me, I'm realizing that, you know, whether my body and my mind and spirit are ready to make that jump or not, like mentorship is one of, going to be one of the things that I do with passion once I'm able to open myself up to that. Why do I say that? Because as much as I hate talking to people, as much as I hate being around people, people oftentimes seem to gravitate towards me with inquiries or inquisition into what it is that I do. Like whether it be needing to get like a different perspective on something, or to be genuinely interested in like my knowledge of stocks or forks or whatever, or to just be genuinely interested in my knowledge of parenting, uh, you know, my, as a parental role, like how am I able to balance everything the way I do? So I find myself like maybe my purpose on this earth might be for mentorship or to, you know, be a guide in life for somebody because I see that whether my body and mind and spirit wants it or not, that's where I keep being pulled towards. Whereas, you know, like you just said, like those people that have those skills, they might not have the, the time to chase that per se. Whereas I do, by any means. And I think another part, kind of like with the example that you used with myself is like, I do feel fulfilled within my role at my, at my job. Like it's something that I do enjoy doing, but there's also goals above that in terms of like my, my personal assessments or yeah, like how I look for myself to be as a success or not. So like, for example, this is like, I consider something that's much more close to myself because this is something that we built from the ground up with our own input. So it was like, I have, I have different levels in which I look at things. So it's like, I'm, I may be fulfilled in work, but I do know ultimately what I want to do is going to be something that I'm actually bringing from my own mind into fruition, as opposed to being um, just strictly working for somebody else. And I think that's understood. Like, I think the more we expand on this, like, cause I said, this was like a very elementary question. But the more we expand on it and the more we talk about it, like I keep coming up with like this theory or the formula of compliance of self. Like sometimes it's not compliance of the system, but it's compliance of all the things that make one whole per se. Like you're doing everything that checks off all your boxes. Like those are not fear-based decisions. I think- I was thinking that's what that Brian theory, was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. exactly. Yeah. And if we take that theory and then we revert it back to entrepreneurship, then the question doesn't get blown up because we now can say, okay, entrepreneurship is compliance of self. Like you're doing what truly makes you happy. Like reason why I say 
there are just some born and bred entrepreneurs because if we read rich dad poor dad or even rich kid poor kid like you know when um what's his name when when robert kiyosaki was working with his rich yeah when he was working with his rich dad he was you know he wasn't working for money he was working for the ultimate ultimate goal of being someone of service so i think if you are you know learning to be someone of service at a really early age then you're more like more than likely not to fall victim of the system that is working for money per se and i feel like you know whether you've done it intentionally or not like i think you've done a great job you know whether it be in your current role or even with the podcast like we've all become you know people of service in some you know some way shape or form whether we intended to or not I think that's what I was trying to um, say about the compliance itself, because I think it's not always a fear-based decision as far as as far as um, entrepreneurs wanting to start a business. Sometimes it's just like you know I'm I'm done with this. I want to actually go do my own thing. You know, it's not yeah. it's not always like I'm scared of being in this job and staying in this job. It's nine to five for X amount of years. It's about you know I'm just going to the next thing because that's just how some people are. But that's what I was going for. I, I was actually going to. I think you kind of. Um, ask the same question a little bit but i was going to ask is there any positives in fear-based decisions like making sometimes you should be afraid so sometimes you should yeah why is that why is it good to be afraid i mean depend on the consequences like i think fear is fear is a response that we have and it's not something that we that we came up with that doesn't serve us in any fashion. Like sometimes there's things that you should be afraid of in the sense of if you know that a particular outcome is going to happen and you don't want it to happen, then you shouldn't do something that's going to lead you to the path. So I do think there is, there, it does have some utility, but in the, not in the sense of where you're making decisions in your life based off fear and saying, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't do this because of what other people think. I think that's a bad instance of using fear a lot to dictate your choices. But you could also say that fear could be good in the sense of, okay, well, maybe you want to, like an entrepreneurship example. So you want to become an entrepreneur. You want to start your own business of, of leather jackets. Um, so you want to do that. But at the moment, excuse me, moment, at the moment, you might not have, <laughs> this is weak. At the moment, you might not have open enough money saved. So it might be smart for you because you're fearful of the consequences of you just taking the leap without having the money saved up that you stay a little while longer and then eventually do it. So I do think like, if you take the fear into consideration and like with justification there, like it's, it's a real concern for you taking that leap of faith and not having enough money to support yourself. Okay. But just saying, just because you, you're concerned about what other people's opinions are because they might not like your leather jackets or, yeah. I, I think that part is a little bit silly. Yeah. Main thing is not, basing your whole decision off of fear basically yeah like because we have our emotions for a reason yeah. now my question that, does that ever make you stronger though, doing that that's what like actually basing your decision off of fear like of course not everybody learns from it but does that ever make you like a better person doing that like when is, is that ever good doing that can't say that it makes you a better person i i can't say that overcoming your fears that that does cause some kind of personal development to a degree okay. i was gonna say i think it makes you susceptible to change because one thing with me is like with me being super introverted there was a reluctancy to share this podcast with people when we first started doing it like i didn't want people going in watching not based off of the content but just seeing me speak 
like there was a reluctancy with that because I've always been like a super private person. So I think like as I've started to share, even though it might be like minuscule in the sense of how you guys share, but with me making that that jump to start sharing or self-promoting or whatever it may be, it allowed me to open up to be more okay with how people view me per se. Like even though I might not be getting feedback or whatever inside, you know, inside my, you know, my personal or self-being, like making that jump to, you know, making that fear-based decision of, you know, now choosing to share content, it made me more comfortable with self. So I would say like, it makes people susceptible to change because it creates opportunity within itself per se, to where you've now made that decision that you've been super fearful of. Now you're able to see what is on the other side of fear. And I think oftentimes people see what's on the other side of fear is oftentimes opportunity. Gotcha. Okay. What are you saying, Brian? Yeah, I have a question. So on last week's episode, which we just shot a few days ago, Desmond, well, first I'm going to ask you guys, do you feel like we live in a, a fear-based society? Yeah, I would say so. You do? Okay. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in agreement. Okay. So with you saying that you said that on the previous week's episode, I just want to see if you can reconcile the ideas and, and kind of give me a better grasp of how you put these two ideas side by side. So you said that we live in a country that is based off of what is rather than what if, kind of like when we we're talking about the response to things and like, do we have a plan? So you're thinking about, we're concerned about what is currently happening and with the scenario that we're currently dealing with. But then when you said, when you're making a fear-based decision that we're making a decision based off of what if. So how do those ideas coincide with each other? Man, me I can I can formulate it for you. I just gotta. So, I when I say you know we live off of you know we we live in a world of what is. When I say that, I would I would you know, because I haven't been able to formulate the full thought. I would say I'm making that statement based off the assumption that there's a status quo of some sort. And that people oftentimes are in moving to be in compliance or in conjunction with this status quo because it's what is it's how how do you know the world evolves? I think that tying it in today, like when it becomes the fear-based decision on what if it's like that internal decision to where you know on a on a on a macro level we live in a society based off of what is like this is the way to do it this is how you do it like. You know, you have to pay your taxes. You have to go to school. You have to do all this stuff to be considered. I'm not gonna say considered, but you have to do all this stuff to be a, you know, a contributor person to society. But then when we break it down to a micro level and you look at all the possibilities, you have that what if, like, what if I would have put in a lot more time, you know, studying to be a better student? What if I would have put in a lot more time to, you know, be a better basketball player? Like, I think the what is sets the, the framework for all the potential what ifs because there's infinite possibility. And I think there's an infinite probability of what can occur within that what is. And that's why you have all of those what ifs. If you hear what I'm saying. Like what I'm saying is essentially we, we identified that there is a status quo. And essentially a status quo is what 
a lot of people come to accept as what is. You know, you go to work, you get a job, whatever. This this you know world in its own, not just this capitalist society, but this world in its own, it it functions off of money. Like you have to get a job, you have to do something to, you know, you have to do something to make ends meet per se. You have to do something to have a life of fulfillment. But I think the what if is always going to be attributed to the millions of possibilities that can occur within that status quo. Like what can you do as an individual to meet that status quo? I'll take that. And like I said, that's just, you know, me me saying that off the cuff because I'd have to like fully break down everything I said, you know, in regards to, you know, the the 21 Savage situation. And I'm sorry, the TI and 21 Savage talk in addition to, you know, Vanessa Bryant, like that's something that I would have to dissect and, you know, kind of remind myself why I said it. But just knowing like why I would say it, I'm able to just apply it just in a basic economic sense because like even with this question, there's multiple areas you can apply it to, but like, in a way to where I can break it down, you know, cause I always say you become a master of something when you're able to teach what you're doing into, in a, in a sense or in a way that even a, you know, a kindergartner or, or a child can understand it. So, you know, not wanting to be uber complicated or uber complex with my, you know, answer, like that's the easiest way I could do it. So I could break it down to understand, you know, why both can exist in my mind. No, I think you answered that fine. Like, just like what you said with your with your off the, off the cuff response, what I was looking for is like for you to illustrate the relationship between between the two. And so I kind of what I got from that was that they're nested. So you're saying what the if is nested inside of the is. Correct. You agree, Josh? No, I I I'm, I was trying to take in everything you were saying, but I think I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I got you. Anything else you guys want to add? Give me a second. But uh, I, 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 I originally laughed though because he, he said, "I'll take it." You basically took a half court shot, <laughs> made it, <laughs> made it. Like, I'll take it. No, they good. That was nice. What are you talking about? That was good. <laughs> now that was a good answer. Wait, you got yeah, something else? Something else, Brian? I know you have something else. So while you think about that, I will say like. You know, just I expected your response yes, yesterday when you say, you know, it wasn't a question you were into, entirely too excited about because there are multiple ways to go. But like, how do you feel about the question now? Like, did it surpass your expectation of what we could possibly break down? Yes, in the sense of I can't I didn't expect you to come in here and talk about Jamar Mackey. Yeah, um, I, I didn't I didn't think about I didn't think that you had the mind or that you took and that you intended to take the conversation in the direction of police compliance. I thought about that earlier today. And so that's why I was doing some extra looking into it. So I'm kind of glad I took it as like a personal challenge. Cause like, like you said, I wasn't a fan of the question, but I was thinking like, how could we make this discussion interesting? And how could I make it interesting from my perspective? Because you, you were prepared, you, you clearly had a plan for it. Josh, he was on board with it. So I thought that maybe he had a plan for it. So what could I contribute? So I was thinking like different avenues that I could take and that happened to be what I arrived to. So I guess we were we didn't know, but we were going to be on the same path. So I thought that was really neat. Yeah, I'm more or less, like I said, it's a super basic question, but, you know, it's something, like I said, like I was actually reading the comments on Wavy, like right after I watched this video of Jamar Mackey, you know, get detained, I just immediately went to the comments and I just want to see like, 
how many, because I don't ever like take a course of, of physical count, but I always take mental count of where reactions are. Are they warm reactions? Are they cold reactions? Are they sympathetic? Or are they, you know, I'm not going to say narcissistic, but do they lack compassion in what this individual went through? I think and, like, they always lack like compassion with, though, really. I think so there's most always of the time, a lack of compassion. Yeah, I think there's yeah. most of the time lack of compassion. The only time you really saw any type of compassion was probably from George Floyd. But other than that, like even with that, I've seen a couple of comments being like, oh, yeah. "I would, I wouldn't get a counterfeit to the hundred dollar bill." Blah blah blah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But and then yeah. on top on top of that, they were talking about like how he was on a whole bunch of meds or whatever, like trying yeah. to call him a you know a, a, a drug addict of some sort, and that led to why he that might that led to his you know untimely demise rather than the police kneeling on his neck for you know what, eight minutes yeah exactly okay. yeah i didn't i didn't know he was gonna take it that way either i was like when i first looked at the question i was like okay that could be that could turn into something but i didn't know exactly he's gonna go into exactly police compliance stuff yeah but okay but you so with, something, Brian? what's the difference between i have a few one i think i'm gonna go with this one instead um with the idea of compliance versus fear-based decision making so we understand, I think we all agree on the fact that fear is a very powerful motivator. You know what, you guys with me so far? So I kind of try to think about why that is the go-to method. And then I thought about another question. So have you ever tried to get people to comply with anything? Yeah, man, I got a, I got a, you know, I got a three-year-old son, man. Compliance is part of my everyday life. That's my job, but... Right. Um, getting kids what are the comply. challenges of that? Exactly like, like we uh, are. Like with, without getting into the getting into the the micro details of it, but saying like, what are the challenges of getting whoever you're working with to comply? And I hope you, you could draw from those experiences and kind of link those two together. Me in general is just finding their motivation, finding what they want to do. Like it sounds sounds weird in this in this aspect, but like. Okay, I'll use today example. One of the kid wanted to play PlayStation, but he doesn't like cleaning up his house or clean up any type of mess that he puts out in his house. So you want to play PlayStation? You clean up. So you just find the actual motivation for them to get that actually uh, completed, uh, if I'm answering your question correctly. So the alternative is if he did not clean the room, then he could not play the game, right? Exactly. So was he making the decision based off of fear or compliance? He was making a decision off of, it wasn't fear. You don't think he was afraid of the consequence? Or he didn't want no, it? He felt negative it, emotion towards it? He, he, he would be more afraid if I would threaten to beat him. But <laughs> that's, I feel I feel that, that would be the more fear-based. But no, I don't, I'm like, if you don't do it, then you just sit there looking stupid. Like, it's not that I'm going to do anything to you if you don't do it. It's up to you if you want to actually have fun if you not want if you don't have one to have fun you know what i mean so but i'm saying not in the sense of being afraid but fear of the consequence itself he didn't want that to happen yeah i, I guess you could say I, when you say fear of the consequence it makes him seem like he's actually afraid though when i when i think of that you know what i mean it makes me think like oh i'm afraid like no i, I don't want to do nothing like oh my goodness like cool let's, let's, let's <laughs> you know I, that's what i think of when you say fear but yeah I, I, it could be some type of fear of the actual consequence but i, I do Agree with that, I'm trying to get down and see where exactly we draw the line when it comes to fear. That, that's what I was trying to get in that, in that specific example. Gotcha. Okay. Did you want to add your take on it, Des? 
I'm actually in a, I'm actually in agreement with you. I, I did feel like that could have been potentially fear based of not being able to play the PlayStation, like the fear of not being able to satisfy your desire, push you to be in compliance per se. But um, man, like, I think the biggest thing we see with kids is like, I think we say it all the time, like, for the most part, people, when they are born, they, aside from, you know, being it, the need to be nurtured, I think for the most part, a lot of children are independent, like they have this inquisition and they know how to satisfy this inquisition. And sometimes they are so independent to where they do not receive instructions properly. So, you know, one thing I'll say is like, I remember a few, you know, a, well, not a few months ago, but last month, like, you know, I was, um, you know, upstairs in my room chilling. And what I typically do when my whole family is around is I like to be away from my son because the majority of the time he's under me, like very seldom do, you know, does he get to spend true genuine time with everyone on my side of the family. So I remember, um, you know, there was a time I was upstairs in my room and I just heard him crying. I like to test people. So I, you know, stayed in my room and I was like, okay, I'm going to see if they have the ability to deal with his tantrum and it wasn't truly a tantrum it was more or less um a uh, a like lack of communication between, like lack of effective communication so you know my dad calls me downstairs and say, hey can come get lucas he's not listening so i come downstairs and all his cars are on the floor all his cars are on the floor because he likes to take all his cards out and he just likes to throw them on the floor and do his own thing he knows how to pick everything up but he only knows how to pick things up when it's either said a certain way or someone sets the example for him. So the way I, I say it again, prompted, he's prompted to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I come downstairs and I, I, first thing you do as a parent, I think, you know, more parents see the practice is you have an emotional response. You want to console the child. You want to let them know, like you want to build them up rather than, you know, tear them down. Like, why are you crying? Like you're better than this, this, and third, like smack across the head, whatever you may do. Like I came down and I looked him in his eyes. I said, get it together. You're better than this. And I said, we need to clean up. So I picked up a card and I put it in my hand. I said, now clean up. He picks up every card and he puts it in my hand. So the so problem was they, he didn't, he didn't clean up. The problem was he was supposed to clean up. Exactly. Oh, okay. Okay. I got you. So the thing is I'm gaining that compliance without using any factors of fear because sometimes all people need is that example. Yeah, I think like that's he, better. That's that's with younger kids like Lucas. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah. So, that. so I think that you know, and I think it's something that to be said about like, and I think we all already know this. Like, of course, you know, Brian and I. I mean, not Brian, Josh and I know this from working with kids and then me having a kid. But like, you gain the most out of a child by leading by example rather than leading by means of force. Like, you do this or you face this consequence. Like, no, you do this and this is how you do it. That gains that compliance because compliance is ultimately going to lead to independence. Like we already said, you know, you know, Josh had hit the, you know, the nail on the head where he said a lot of people lack common sense because they've always been told what to do. What's a way for you to, you know, strengthen that common sense or strengthen, you know, those, those you know, give them those mental exercises to, you know, obtain that common sense. You can get it through forms of compliance without force of fear or without, you know, force of, of you know, you know, physical action per se.
Like, so now I can tell him whatever, like, hey, go ahead, clean up. He does it like that. Like, there was no need for me to hit him. There's no need for me to yell at him. It's like, hey, get it together. Let's go ahead, clean up. Show them how to do it. And then they do it. Like, same thing for, you know, if you want to, you know, go into a grand, grander scheme of things with people that are the same age, you know, I had to get in compliance with the schedule I set for myself with my, with my uh, son's mom. You know, I think as every young parent, you have this ego trip to where you want to be, you know, the alpha per se. But oftentimes you'll realize like this alpha beta stuff doesn't exist when it comes to children. Like children can't differentiate between the two. They can differentiate between who they can get more out of, but they'll never be able to differentiate between the primary, secondary. They love both parents equally. So for me, you know, it was one of those things to where like, I, there would there be heated conversations to where we go back and forth. Like, no, I feel like I should have more time with this. Or I feel like I should have more time with that. I had to come up with a plan that she would be in agreement with to where it would be best beneficial for my son. So we both had to come in compliance with what would be most beneficial for him without factoring in any possible, you know, detractors per se. When I say detractors, I mean, you know, things that would be harmful to his growth. You know, the thing is, is when you when you truly manifest things in a positive mindset, you look at all the positives that can come from a possible outcome and you do whatever you need to do to make that outcome, to manifest that outcome. So like us getting in compliance with each other and doing everything that we needed to do as parents to make this schedule work for two single parents that are no longer in an intimate relationship, like that took a greater level of compliance than I think a lot of people realize, which is why we see a lot of people, you know, get trapped up in courts and you have child custody fights and all that, because neither parent are in compliance with one another. You're not doing what is best beneficial to the child. So like I say, like, you know, that is one of my greatest accomplishments as a young African-American male is because you learn submission, you learn to be someone of service and you learn to be an overall better person when you stop making these fear-based decisions. Because oftentimes when we make a fear-based decision, there's a level of regret that could potentially come with it rather than, you know, it always being that opportunity on the other side. Like, yeah, you know, I could have said that, hey, I complied with, you know, you know, my son's mom because I feared being on child support. But that wasn't my rationale behind the compliance. My rationale behind the compliance was doing everything possible to afford my son a fruitful life that I that I obtained with both my parents and that she obtained with both of her parents. I do feel like it's hard to get compliance out of adults or older people in the sense because I was thinking about when I was when I was R, I think there's one specific incident probably illustrates the best. There was this one guy on my hall and he was playing like the music on like 90 on moving day. And so cool. I went down there to talk to him. It's like, there's no need for you to have the music on this loud. And we can hear on the other side of the building. So he turns the music down. A few weeks later, not or not even that, the same thing happened. So I illustrate again. I, I walk him out of there and I said, come with me. So he walked to the other end of the building. I said, we can still hear your music. So he goes in and turns the music down. So he continues to do this until I actually wrote him up and there were actual consequences. And so I tried to take the, the steps before that to actually explain to him, like, other people on the other side of the building can hear this. You don't need to do this. And it wasn't until when there was actual consequences imposed on him that there was changed behavior. 
and now Josh. he's and now he's uh and now he's fearful to do it again because you're gonna write him up again he's gonna kick it yeah <laughs> i mean but that's that was my my whole thing because it's like i think that once we gain a real true sense of independence like that was a young adult so i say he was he was 18 18 19 somewhere in that range but once you have like a true sense of independence we really don't like to be told what to do even if it is the correct thing to do like just the fact that somebody is telling us something we don't want to do it so that's why i think that it's harder to get adults to comply that's why i think it's much more common to use a fear-based approach and maybe he he's been in another building where that was okay and nobody ever said anything to him too. no nah, he just moved in <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm talking about another builder, like, before that. Like, maybe oh. he was, like, at his parents' house and his parents never said anything to him. You know what I mean? So that, that's, that's, that's true, too. Um, what I can say is fear is easier to use because with what you guys were detailing with the children and to actually have them comply and, you know, with, with Lucas, for example, Desmond had to establish that to where he could tell him, hey, get it together. He knew what that meant. That means it was something that was done before and you had probably shown him how to clean up before. Now, it's... Take, that takes time. That takes you have to make an initial investment to illustrate the behavior that you want and show how to do it. And then you have to reward the behavior as opposed to just saying, okay, I'm going to write you up. So those are two different, very different scenarios. And I think that a lot of times people just go with what's easiest. Definitely. No disagreement? Nah, no, nah, no not at all, man. Because like, like you guys said before, like, a, you know, the older you get, the more stuck in your ways you, you know, you become. And I know for me, like, I like my music to be loud, but I also, you know, I'm cognizant of my, and I guess I'm more, more aware of my surroundings and, you know, who might be, who, who I guess, you know, exercising my, my free will might infringe upon. You already know, I, I mentioned my music uh, volume one in the car, so... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm looking around. You know what? Let me turn this down a little bit. <laughs> but um, got any more questions? Anything else? Doesn't that? Nah, man. I'm like we're good. All right. I'm guessing I shouldn't ask for an album of the week. You should not. But I do have a um. I know oftentimes, like you know, one thing we try to do is we try to you know promote podcasts that are on the same level as us. Like we try to you know definitely promote smaller um business and smaller you know ventures but um if you follow me on instagram i have been posting a lot of i'm not gonna say a lot i'm gonna post two but i've posted like clips of an interview that you know noriega and um one of the other guys have pharrell on it's called drink champs and i will say that not to you know plug their podcast because of course they don't need us but to give somebody the the you know I'm not going to say give you, but to recommend a podcast with Pharrell in it, I think it will provide you the perfect example of what, you know, humility, humility, humbleness, and, you know, just what it essentially means to be like an overall great human being, like to be okay within yourself. Because I tell you, like watching the podcast, like it, it overwhelmed me with a sense of gratitude. Like I haven't accomplished anything, you know, near what Pharrell has done. But to see someone exude gratitude and humility, it's contagious. So I recommend it. So, you know, it's a three-hour interview. But you know, regardless of the energy within, you know, the room, Pharrell was able to maintain his energy. Like not to say there was any negative, but just to be able to see somebody, you know, lead by example by, by you know, being humble, being having that humility, being you know, present 
Cause I think I, I like I've been I've been talking about presence of mind like a lot more frequently as I as I talk to my mom and you know my peers. But seeing someone that's able to be present and do that for so amount so for such a great amount of time, like I think that is going to rub off better than you know me recommending you know an album in a week. So listen to it. It's uh, called you know Drink Champs. I think they might have they might have it on you know Apple Podcasts whatever. But I watched it on YouTube. I watched the whole three hours. I listened to it an hour each day. So, you know, give it a listen. All right. And if you're from Virginia, then it's more incentive to listen to it as well. You know, I know a lot of us are powerful based off of just, you know, the the greatness that has came from our from our area. So, you know, it, it definitely is recommended. He drops a lot of gems. All right. If you guys like the discussion, don't forget to hit the like button. And we're going to see you guys next week. Peace.